You're listening to Good Shepherd Brentwood's Sermon Feed. Today's sermon was preached by Father Fred Schmidt and recorded on the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, July 2nd, 2023. Friends, the title of my sermon is The Almost Sacrifice of Isaac. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts Be always and everywhere acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, let it never be said that I don't do what the rector wants to do. It was her idea that we would preach these sermons on the Old Testament text this summer. I probably would have opted out, especially today. Making sense of the sacrifice of Isaac is like wrestling alligators. And it's made much harder because the free-floating nature of the story invites a variety of impressions. The subsequent religious influence it has had has an impact on the way that it is understood. And centuries of interpretation has grown up around it. Known as the Akedah, or binding in the Jewish tradition, the story is celebrated in the Jewish family as the supreme example of self-sacrifice in obedience to God's will and the symbol of martyrdom throughout the ages. In the Christian tradition, it is seen as a type or a model of the sacrifice of Jesus. And in the Muslim tradition, where it is argued that it was Ishmael, not Isaac, who was offered as a sacrifice, Abraham is seen as a model of obedience. Reading the Akedah is further complicated by our own historical distance and our lack of it from Abraham's day. On the one hand, we find many of the elements of Abraham's family story and the social mores of his day morally repellent. There's the intrigue, the schemes to have a baby, the jealousy, fear, and doubt, the callous attitude toward life. But at the same time, we suppress similar dynamics in our own day and time. Are any of us less fearful? Are any of us less likely to mistrust God or to co-opt Him to make excuses for our behavior? Do we really value life more than Abraham and his relatives? Or do we just rely on convoluted laws and complex institutions to do the killing for us? There are times when I am not sure whether it is Abraham that we don't like or the reflection of our own struggles that are played out in his life that repulses us. And the more I grappled with these issues and others, the more I realized that we need to set those things aside in order to understand the almost sacrifice of Isaac. We also need to remember 
that the story we read in chapter 22 follows on a series of stories about Abraham that begin in chapter 12 and end in chapter 25. And it is the context of this long collection of stories, not the host of these other considerations, that we should use to try to interpret Abraham's test as Genesis describes it. So, what does reading this story in the context of the larger Abraham saga do for our understanding of it? Well, first of all, it is important to note that all 15 chapters of what is referred to as the Abraham cycle revolve around God's plan to save the human race and to do that through Abraham. He has been blessed that through him God might bless the world. It is this theme, not the chaos and dysfunctionality of Abraham's family, that is at the heart of the biblical story. Take that central message of God's work out of the equation, and what you have is real housewives of New Jersey set in the ancient Middle East. Now the second thing to remember is this, the promise that God will do this through Abraham is based on the conviction that God is the Lord of life and the guarantor of humankind's fertility. So offspring and family are at the heart of the story. We have lost track of that fact and the fact that God is the Lord of life and the guarantor of human fertility because we are so preoccupied with ideologies and politics that we're fairly sure that none of that matters to God. But the preoccupation of the Old Testament with families, children, and inheritances is perfectly congruent with what the book of Genesis describes as the problems we have had as human beings from the very beginning. Abraham, Adam and Eve long to be their own gods. That longing alienates them from not only God, but one another. And sooner rather than later, the animosity extends to the second generation, where in the case of Cain and Abel, the whole misadventure ends in murder. The problem is that not unlike us, Abraham only half believes the promises that God has made. And like Adam and Eve, he and his wife Sarah can't give up on being their own gods. So all the way through those 15 chapters devoted to their story, Abraham and Sarah display both a lack of faith and spiritual hubris. Sarah tries to fulfill God's promise that they will have a family by giving her maidservant Hagar to Abraham as a surrogate wife so that Sarah might take the baby. Abraham displaying a similar lack of faith, cooperates without any argument. When Sarah, God tells Sarah that she will have a child, she laughs off the promise, 
displaying contempt for God's message. And Abraham displays a similar amount of contempt by trying to have Ishmael, the child he had with Hagar, circumcised as the child that God had promised. On a trip through Egypt and later Kadesh and Shur, Abraham and Sarah display a lack of faith in God's care by passing off Sarah as his sister. And when Isaac is finally born, Sarah and Abraham send Ishmael away so that he won't be a competitor with Isaac. And that last fiasco brings us to chapter 22 and the Akedah. And what's important about the events that precede it is that the test that Genesis describes does not take place in a vacuum. I think that we are meant to infer that God has had it with Abraham's half-hearted behavior and that it is time not just to challenge that behavior but to bring home to Abraham that God is not just faithful but that he is the Lord of life, not Abraham. Verse 1 of chapter 22 reads, After these things, God tested Abraham. But I can almost hear the writer say, Having had enough of this, God tested Abraham. And what follows then should not mire us down in a conversation about whether or not God approves of child sacrifice or would even toy with the idea. He doesn't and he wouldn't. And Isaac is not an infant. He was probably about 37 years old. But more importantly, Isaac is the instrument of God's promise given to Abraham in spite of his faithlessness and hubris. In other words, there is almost a parenthetical lying behind the command that Abraham take his son, his only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah that has this effect. And if you think, Abraham, that this is about sacrificing children, then you are a bigger mess than I thought you were. We should also avoid getting bogged down in an abstract conversation about whether God tests people the same way that we stress tests a bank or train Marines at Paris Island. This is not a test in that sense. It is a challenge, a confrontation to Abraham's faithlessness. The binding, the akedah of Isaac, not his sacrifice, is about bringing home to Abraham a point that he has been unable and unwilling to grasp. That his well-being and the future of God's larger project of saving and healing is God's project, not his. So, when Abraham and Isaac finally get to Mount Moriah, prepare the sacrifice, and begin the process, the intervention of the angel is as much as to say, enough. I think 
you finally get the point, and so does your son. My gift, the one who will carry on in your footsteps. And that message is this. God is the author of life and the one who will provide. Now, with that understanding of the story in hand, I think we can talk with some benefit about its significance for our own lives. And here is some of what I believe the story tells us. First, the central message is this. The Christian life depends upon a radical trust in the promise of God. We cannot allow that promise to be eroded by life circumstances or the apparent failure of that promise. More importantly, we cannot actively undermine that promise by taking life into our own hands. If we do so, we court disaster. None of us are the progenitors of a divine intergenerational promise, not on the scale of Abraham's at any rate. But if there is any way in which we are more advanced than Abraham, it is probably in our capacity for hubris and imagining that we can play the role of God and do it well. And as the story of Abraham makes clear, it is hubris that threatens to rob us of God's promise and places us at peril. There is not a week that does not go by that I don't see things in the news that speak to this truth. We are convinced as a culture that we can seize control of life by re-engineering our bodies. We are convinced that we can seize control of our lives by reimagining what it means to be human. We have convinced ourselves that we can put a stop to life anywhere it begins. And we have decided that we can and should bring life to an end when and where we want to. Even to the point of selecting categories of human beings who ought not to live. And now, with AI, we are flirting with the possibility of creating lives, or at least a form of consciousness, that we have convinced ourselves we must and can control. Talk about hubris and the desire to be a god. As a child of the 60s, I marvel at the way that we lived in fear that one day we might extinguish life on this planet with a single explosion and how we have put that specter behind us to some degree in favor of euthanizing people on a daily basis. It would make and should make the hand-wringing that some commentators on Genesis do over child sacrifice laughable if it weren't so appallingly immoral. So, here's the challenge we face as the children of Abraham. How do we rest in God's promise 
and live out of the conviction that He is the Lord of life? That's not a question we can answer this morning. But it's a question we should be asking before God is forced to test us. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in hearing our sermons in real time, you can check us out at our website, www.goodshepherdbrentwood.org or attend online during our 1015 Sunday live stream on YouTube. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Good Shepherd Brentwood. If you have any questions or comments, or maybe you'd like to meet with one of our clergy, you can email us at office at goodshepherdbrentwood.org. Or if you're interested in visiting in person or have questions about our programs and services, you can text 615-637-3738, where you'll be contacted by our staff. We'd love to meet you.